Oh, I um, just thank you to the worship team for leading us in that time of worship. And uh, I thank God. I just was really moved in my own heart and spirit. I pray that you are as well. There's so many things that God is doing in our midst as a people. It's hard sometimes to see because we're not all here at the same time. Um, but just some neat and exciting things. We had 28 people um, go through our last membership class, and we have about 10 or so signed up for one in April. So if you missed it, you can be a part of that. Maybe we'll show you some of the pictures of some of those people who are in that class as well. I just want to take a moment and have us just to pause and just say, speak to me, Lord. We're going to be speaking about sharing our faith. And so sometimes there's lots of resistance around that. So just pause for a moment. Father, I just pray that as we look at this passage of Scripture, you might be able to point out to us some things that could be really helpful that would allow for you to open up in our hearts places where you can begin to grow us and move us more into the reality and excitement of what it means to live with you, to have experienced forgiveness, to live without guilt and to live in the identity of being a son or daughter that need not live in shame but can approach you freely. What a great gift. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Well, yesterday I had the opportunity at noon to go with a group of people. I think there's 20 to 30 of us and uh, we did this two weeks ago where we are going to Minneapolis with Zion Baptist Church and Faith Baptist and then our church from the suburbs. And they're all in North Minneapolis, those two. And and it's just this incredible, wonderful experience with people with different ethnic backgrounds that come together and are praying for the North Minneapolis area. And we prayed for the 5th Precinct um, a couple of weeks ago. This week we prayed for the 4th Precinct. And as Deacon Andre, who kind of heads these up, Got this incredible heart and spirit. Shared with us why we're in this area that we were in yesterday. And we prayed for the Urban League. And he told a little bit about the Urban League and its ministry. And then we also went over and we prayed at North Point, which is a health medical services. And he shared, and so some others shared about the importance of that ministry. And we just walked and and prayed at each spot. And we did this prayer walking. And we also prayed at the 4th Precinct, the police station, which is... Uh, has a, a barricade of a fence, and then there's a razor wire. I'm not talking barbed wire. I'm talking razor wire roll. And then there's another barricade with a fence, and and they just talked about how um, at one time this community is a very wealthy community, and they remember when it was also a very safe community in that, that if you go to some of the houses, they actually still have pools. No one uses them. But they have pools in the back, and they were just talking about how this community and what it was and now what it is, and and we were praying for what it will be. And uh, I remember they shared these three things that we went to, and we played then at that 4th Precinct Police Station. And and then there was a fourth one, and it didn't make sense to me. They wanted us to pray at Estes Funeral Home. I thought, yeah, okay, that's interesting, Um, except for... I get moved just even talking about this. Except for the, 
one black person after another just started coming out and just testifying about this funeral home and how incredible this man who's passed away, but his family, they talked about them, Richard Estes, and how he... People would come and they didn't have money and they said, would you take my TV? He'd do anything. And, and they just, they, 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 they were, they were praying and they just, they get really active when they're praying. They're walking around and I watch because it's fun. Um, and then you're just praying and, 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 and there's a couple of them said, this is holy ground. We're in a parking lot of Estes funeral. This is holy ground. This is hell ground. And they, they just went on about this guy and what a hero he was to the community. What a role model. And the impact his life still has. And, and God kind of answered my question, why would we pray there? Because there was a person of, of great love and compassion who, who was the light of Christ. He had been a member years back at Zion Baptist Church. And, and then I, 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 I had a different intro to this until yesterday. <laughs> to this message because I look at the Bible and what we're looking at in Acts and it just highlights now from chapter 8 on these role models they're heroes of the faith they show you Stephen and then they have a picture of Philip and then they show you Saul and his conversion to kind of to prep you for the next last half of the book and and then they they have Peter step forward and then a guy named Cornelius and and you have these role models that I think they walked around and when they went to places where they were, this is holy ground, this is hell ground, because this person was willing to let God have their life in such a way that they didn't just go to church and they didn't just pray and they didn't just give some money, but their life on a daily basis carried the presence of God wherever they went. And so I'm going to talk about this role model today. We're going to talk about this guy, Philip. And I hope when we get done, you have a better understanding of why he's a role model. I want to point out to you some eight things that you can look at his life. And he's called Philip the Evangelist. You can, you're going to understand why he was a guy who carried the presence. And in, in, whenever he carried it, it spilled out either in his words or his actions. Before I read the passage, though, I, want you to show, I just want to show you that Luke tells this story in his own words. So as we read this story, this is Luke hearing the story and retelling the story to us. If you look at Acts chapter 21, verses 7 through 10, this is later in the book. Luke writes, we continued our voyage. He's talking about Luke, and um, he's also talking about his buddy Paul. We continued our voyage. We went on to Caesarea. So they're at Caesarea and stayed at the home of Philip the Evangelist. This is 20 years later after this story we're going to look at. And one of the seven who had been chosen to distribute food, so he's giving you a little history again of who he is, he had four unmarried daughters who had the gift of prophecy. Must have run in the family. And so Paul and Luke, they're guests at the house of Philip. They're on their way to bring an offering to the impoverished church in Jerusalem. And they stay here overnight, and I'm sure they just can regale each other with stories that's occurred in their life. And this would have been one of them that Luke listened to, marked down, and later wrote in this book called Acts. And so here's the word from verse 25 to verse 40. After testifying and preaching the word of the Lord in Samaria, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem. They were kind of coming in, making sure quality control. Did these people who received the Spirit really, is God working in a place called Samaria? Could he really work with this group? And so they did that, and they stopped in many Samaritan villages along the way to preach the good news. As for Philip, 
who was the guy who started all this stuff in Samaria. An angel of the Lord said to him, Go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and he met the treasure of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candake, the queen of Ethiopia. Some of you have Candace. It's not a personal name. It is more like a royal title, like pharaoh or prime minister or president. And many translations now are saying Candake, which is what is found in some of the ancient documents. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning. So he made the pilgrimage. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. And carriage is an interesting word. It's a word chariot. They had military chariots, which are fast and sleek and were for war. And then they had travel chariots. You could go to the local RV place. This was like a three-seater and comfortable and nice smooth ride. And, and that's what he was on. So he's in this chariot. He's got this. The shocks are good so he can read the word of God. And the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. Now you have to understand that in those days, when people would go, they would usually go with about 10 to 15 or so in a group. And sometimes it get to be 20, 30 or people who, if they were traveling somewhere, would wait till a group of people would go. Because you didn't travel by yourself, you traveled in a group. So here's this guy, probably the only guy who's driving in this nice carriage with a whole bunch of people around him. So get next to this chariot, says the Holy Spirit. And so Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? And the man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? The word guide is the word actual for the word to teach. Um, that kind of person who's got the gifts to be able to help you understand what's being said. And so he says, and he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. It was probably a three-seater. And the passage of scripture he had been reading was this. He was led like sheep to the slaughter as a lamb is silent before the shearers. He did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth? And and that raised all kinds of questions for people in that day because they were looking for a political king. They did not understand who the suffering servant was. Many thought it was Isaiah or someone else, but they couldn't put those two together, that this one who would also come as king would have to be a savior who suffers and serves you and me. And the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning with the same, some scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. And as they rode along, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? And he ordered the carriage to stop. And they went down into the water. And Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. Some believe that maybe he just left and he didn't see him leave. But I believe the Spirit of the Lord translated him. As it says here, the eunuch never saw him again but went on his way rejoicing. And meanwhile, Philip found himself farther north at the town of Azotus. And he preached the good news there in every town along the coast until he came to where? Caesarea, where he put his roots down. Where he had his four daughters who were the prophets. So there's a couple things I just want to note quickly. One is that when we move from Acts 1, 7 through chapter 8 and on, we move from mass conversions to more individual conversions. You'll see that, you know, here's an Ethiopian eunuch, and you'll see at a point the conversion of Saul, and then you'll see the conversion of um, Cornelius. And so we move from the mass to the personal in these. 
And it raises a question when you look at this passage of Scripture. You have to ask, is this court official a converted Gentile? Or is he possibly a mix of Jew and Gentile, kind of like the Samaritans, maybe some mixture? And as I um, have studied this, I've come to the conclusion, and, and a number of scholars do as well, that there's this progression of, there's these concentric circles, and it begins in Jerusalem, the gospel, like just like Jesus said in Acts 1-8, when he made this promise, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, um, you'll be filled with power, and you will be witnesses, you're to be witnesses to Jerusalem, to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So you, you, Luke is doing this for us, he's showing us how this happens. What happens is he first goes to the Jews, they get Persecution occurs. They move to Samaria. They do what it says, what, what Jesus said. The mixed breed come together. People who, in according to the Jewish people, thought some really weird things and would never, in fact, they were worse than a Jew. And then he goes to this Ethiopian eunuch, and you have to ask yourself, so who is this guy? What is he? He's probably a converted Gentile who is now a follower of the Old Testament faith who's going back and forth. So you see the progression as it moves. Now he's moving into from a from a mixed Jewish people to a person who's now a converted um, Jew in faith. And then it moves to the next one, which is Cornelius, which is a pure Gentile. He's a Roman soldier, and there is no way that, that person is going to be a part of the faith and a part of the love of God. Okay. So in these short chapter, these three short chapters, the gospel does just what Jesus said it would do through surrendered people who were willing to live by the Holy Spirit and be filled by the Holy Spirit, who would be witnesses, who who would actively be witnesses, the gospel went viral. And finally, some of you have in your passage of scripture, I'll just quickly comment on this. That is verse 36, if you look at it, goes right to verse 38, and 37 is in a footnote below. And that is because, as you read it, it's, it says in verse 36, why shouldn't I be baptized? And all the early manuscripts go right to verse 38, and it says, and he ordered the chariot to stop. It's more than likely, because it's in the Western later manuscripts that a scribe put near the side of it, um, the confession of faith which was necessary um, for people, because as the Christianity was growing, they wanted to make sure that people were confessing in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So most scholars will just say that probably was an added footnote. And just if you have any trouble with that, um, there are so few of those in the, in the Bible. And secondly, there are so many manuscripts. If you look at Plato and you look at um, Homer and you look at all these different ancient works, there's maybe three or four extant literature that they can go to to compare. There are thousands of New Testament documents, not just in one area, but all around so you can compare and see. And that's kind of what they've done here. Is this is what the Word of God has to say. It is inerrant in its original writings. So here's the question that I think Phil forces on all of us. And it's this. Do you want to share your faith? Are you serious about what God has done in your life and you kind of saying, how do I, how do I express that in my life on a daily basis? One commentator wrote this, most of us struggle being a witness, sharing our faith. We're hampered by fear. What will a person, what will others think about us? We're discouraged by ignorance, worried that if someone asks us a question, we won't get it right. And then the person writes, and lots of us are held back by indifference. We just don't believe this news is really as important as we first experienced it to be in our life. So we ease our guilty consciences in all sorts of clever ways while avoiding this most important command, 
be my witnesses. And I just want to say, there's a lot of bad witnessing, a lot of bad sharing of faith, but it does not mean that we don't share our faith. It means we do it in the way that Jesus would have us to do it, which is loving and kind and builds credibility and all kinds of things. And often it's in actions that build that before the words are even spoken. So let's just move into this. Let me share with you eight eight ways that you, if you look at Philip, it gives you, a, I think, a good idea to say, if I want to witness, maybe this would be a good way um, for me to do it. And the first thing that I notice in this is that I believe Philip looked for divine appointments. In fact, I don't know if he even just looked as much as he prayed for divine appointments. Chapter 8, verse 26 and 27 says, As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south down the desert road that turns from Jerusalem to Gaza. I have to believe that Philip is in prayer saying, okay, I've done this in Samaria, and do you want me to go to this next village? And he's kind of in his heart asking the Lord, what's the next divine appointment? Where where am I to head? And God, because of things going on the way they were, an angel actually tells him, here's where I want you to go, because this is going to be such a supernatural thing. I think he needed some supernatural strength around him. So he started out and he met the treasure of Ethiopia, the eunuch of great authority, under the Candake, or the Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. Here is this guy who is filled with the Spirit, living by the Spirit, believing that the Spirit would direct his life, whether it would be serving tables. It didn't matter if he served tables or he was more in an evangelistic way sharing his faith. He just knew this, that he would do whatever God directed him to do. And he began to say, God, are there, are there, are there people that are out there that you want me to touch, that you want me to reach? And would you set up in my calendar divine appointments? I can get it, I can just imagine getting to bed and thinking, Jesus, who will you bring today? Who needs to be loved? Who needs prayer? Who will need a word of encouragement? And not only did he pray for this, but I think he looked and expected that God would be doing this. I love how Philip doesn't limit God. He lives with this unlimited, boundless, and expansive God. He didn't limit Jesus on who he should be getting appointments with or where they even should be. Here's my, here's my day, God. Whoever and wherever you want it to go, I'm willing to go with you. And so he goes to Samaria, people that are, uh, are completely rejected by the Jewish people, and he starts there, and now he goes to a road that heads south down to a place called Ethiopia. And and the phrase, the desert road, is intentional. It's literally like putting it this way, the road less traveled. This is not a well-traveled road. And I could imagine, you know, Philip going, "What? why would I want to do this? I don't like the heat. Now, if I show you the map real quickly, that's kind of where he goes. He starts down this road. He's heading this way. And Gaza, when you look at Gaza, it's the last oasis before you start heading to the desert down to Ethiopia. Later, he goes to Azotus and then up to Caesarea. And if you just kept going, he'd be in Plymouth, Minnesota. And so he was just on his way. Um, I want you to remember, as you read this text, the angel doesn't tell him why he should take the desert road, nor does he tell him who he would meet. He just says, head down that desert road. And Philip obeys. And here's what amazes me. 
both Philip let God set his day, said, give me some divine appointments. And Philip didn't seem to put any limits on who those, and who those people would be and where they would go. And I don't think that would be my response. If I look at myself, I was preparing this and I was thinking through it, I'd probably say something like, here's the people God I'd like to meet and here's the place where I'd like to go and here's a couple of calendar spots on my calendar and if you can make it about a 30-minute meeting, I'd be thrilled. How's that work for you, God? Because I'm really good at telling the unlimited God what his limits are. And I don't know if that's true for you. It could be the limits of who the person is or what they believe or what they look like or how they live their life. I don't know what the limit might be. But Philip puts no limits on God. He prays daily to meet whoever God you want me to meet, wherever you want me to go, I will do that. Just lead me. Just guide me. And so God has to meet an Ethiopian eunuch. Let me just share with you, a, a eunuch is a castrated male official in the court of the king who is trusted and given the trust of, is called the keeper of the harem, which would be the, the king's wives. And that's why he's a eunuch. Um, no doubt you have to think twice before you apply for that job. But he's also a treasure. So he's so trusted, he's a treasure. He's, he, he is the, probably the financial secretary, national treasure for that country. He's Ethiopian. It says an angel instructs him to go down the south road that goes down to the Jerusalem to Gaza where that last oasis is before you hit into the desert. Ethiopia, if you look on the map again, Ethiopia is, is the Nubian kingdom. It's Sudan, not lower Sudan. And if you go over to the right a little bit to the east, that's actually modern day Ethiopia. So we're talking about a thousand miles south of Mediterranean. And we're talking about going on a road that would have been along the outskirts around that uh, sea all the way down to Sudan. It would have been a long, lonely trip to head that way. So he meets him somewhere in that road in Israel up in Palestine there, and he begins to walk with him. That's kind of where you find him. And what I want you to note as you look at this, that's, that's Africa. Sudan is, is black. Most all scholars will tell you that this Ethiopian eunuch, who was a converted Jew, was a black person. And the boundless, unlimited gospel is now expanding into a new ethnic group. It goes from Jews in Jerusalem and Judea to Samaria and now starts going to Ethiopia. Long history there, we won't get into all that. But I want you to mark this down if you're listening and, and you are, and we have a, a number of black people in our congregation. If I just want you to hear this. One of the first groups to receive the gospel, one of the first groups to receive the gospel, even before European whites, Cornelius, are the blacks of Africa. And I just go, you just, God is amazing. It's God is limitless and doesn't put boundaries on who he is going to reach and touch. And so Philip says, fill my calendar with divine appointments. I will look for them and expect them. Divinely set an appointment with whoever, wherever, whenever you want, and I'll be there. And I thought to myself, I wonder how many divine appointments I've missed. 
I get really bummed, honestly, really bummed if I make an appointment for here at church at work and, and I miss it. I, I, I miss, rarely do I miss them, but when I do, I'm just like beside myself. And I just thought to myself, I wonder how many I miss. And would I even be that upset? The next thing I want you to look at, and we're going to run through the rest of these more quickly. Look for spiritual hunger. Acts 2, verses the last part of 27, 28. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning. He's seated in his carriage. He's reading the book of Isaiah. Uh, what I want you to notice here is that he's, he's obviously curious. He's somewhat devout. He's religious. He's going on a pilgrimage. He, that's a long pilgrimage, folks, from where he came to where he went to Jerusalem, then on the way back. He's also reading the Old Testament, which shows he's educated and he wanted to learn. He was seeking to understand. And not only that, he has a handwritten scroll of Isaiah, which would have cost a fortune in that day. You, not Very few people had it. It was a big thing if the synagogue could have enough money to buy a scroll of Scripture. And he's got one. And, and so he's not only... A person who is somewhat religious and somewhat devout at least looks that way and he's wanting to learn. He's actually making investments. He's actually making steps forward to wanting to know this God. And I think he was spiritually open and I think God was looking and going, I see that guy's heart. He's on his way back. And when there's an open heart, God looks for someone to come and and fill it with his truth. He looks for someone to come and to touch them with his love. He looks for someone to come and to treat them with kindness. He looks for someone to come to say, here's what's happened in my life. I want to share with you what God has done for you. And I went through this and I asked myself and I asked you as well. Do you think God has some people who are spiritually open around you and he has prepared them for you to step into their life? Do you wake up and say, give me a divine appointment, God, because I believe there's people who are spiritual. I mean, we live in an age where it looks like nobody's open, but you know what? I think there are far more people open if we are willing to listen to the Spirit of God. So there are people out there. So you look for spiritual openness. And then follow the Spirit's lead. Acts 8.29, the Holy Spirit said to Philip, Go over and walk along. So you got to ask, well, well, maybe at the end of the service, in fact, at the end of the service, I think that's one of the questions I'd like to talk to those of you who are on live. You won't be able to hear that, but I, I'd like to kind of answer this idea. How do you know when the Spirit of God is speaking to you? I asked some of our people to share how they hear the Spirit of God. Well, when I'm chatting with God and a thought comes into my head or a voice that I hear and that seems to be consistent with the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, then I tend to sense that I'm hearing from the Holy Spirit. Uh, in the shower? <laughs> uh, only partially joking. For years I've prayed in the shower and I think it's a quiet space where the Lord has my full attention. And after I hear from him in a quiet space, then I wait to see if he repeats that in my reading of the Bible or if I'm listening to Christian radio or a podcast or something. So I wait for the Lord to confirm those things in other ways. me, it's like a, a thought I didn't have on my own, a redemptive thought or an idea that I didn't come up with, um, something that he speaks 
that's in line with the word of God and often comes to bring edification or conviction um, or clarity and sometimes an idea that causes me to search out a matter through uh, reading his word. I hear the Holy Spirit when I am intentionally and actively um, in conversational prayer with the Lord. He's just a friend that I always have that I can go to that um, will, you know, converse back with me um, whenever I need him. And when my heart is receptive to the Holy Spirit, I can feel my, what I want changing and my desires changing towards what God wants. And I feel an access to a strength that I just don't have on my own. Sometimes it's through words. Sometimes it's not through words. I think of ways that God just nudges me, whether gently or really with a sharp elbow, uh, to the ribs. And I think sometimes God will use words where, where he'll just whisper. Sometimes he'll just shout. And in those moments, I just ask God, Lord, where are you leading me? And how would you like me to move forward after hearing this word that you've given me? Two weeks ago, Beth and I were in a Bible study with some friends. During the lecture, an unknown visitor drove by the church, saw the lights on, turned her car around, and came in and joined us. After the lecture, she informed us that she was a Christian, and then with tears, shared her struggles. I told Beth we needed to pray for her. Beth immediately got up and asked this woman if she wanted a hug healing under God's supervision, that is, and then if she wanted prayer. We and several members of our group prayed over her. This individual felt a freedom to share her burdens with a small group of unknown people. This small group of Christians provided her with love and compassion and asked God's blessing and direction for her life. Now, I ask you, Did we hear the Holy Spirit that night? I feel the Holy Spirit bringing to me a song each morning when I awake. And it's often a hymn or a spiritual song that will stay with me most of the day. And one that is so special to me is, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you, O my soul rejoice. Take joy, my King, in what you hear. May it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. I often hear God through a uh, gentle whisper, which is the language that was used in 1 Kings when God passed by Elijah. So it's this idea of like a a still, small voice in my spirit. And I usually uh, test this by asking God to confirm it through other people. Um, And this happens often where people will uh, randomly confirm and, and share words with me that are in alignment with with his word and what he's telling me personally to my spirit. So God speaks in many different ways, but one of them really surprised me, and it started about nine years ago. I was really trying and struggling to understand how God speaks, mostly because of a difficult situation that I was involved in. And one day a trusted friend came to me, and he said, hey, why don't you start writing down your dreams? Well, I knew that God spoke a lot in the Bible through dreams, but it just seemed very weird uh, that he would do that today. But on the other hand, uh, I was kind of desperate about this situation, so I started writing them down. And I'll tell you that for the first six months, uh, it was really weird, 100%. Uh, I didn't, couldn't really make sense of anything. Um, 
But near the end of October that year, I was facing a difficult decision, uh, one that affected our whole family and the work that we were involved in at the time. And one night I had a dream. And through the pictures and the story that played out in the dream, I understood what had to happen. And the decision was still unpleasant, uh, but I had confidence in it. And since that time, uh, God has spoken through dreams many times. And we have to remember that God speaks on his terms. There's certainly other more common ways that God speaks, uh, but however he wants to speak, uh, that's how we listen. And I'd still be missing out had I not learned to pay attention. The Holy Spirit speaks to me in a lot of different ways. Sometimes he brings to mind a Bible verse just when I need it. Other times, a phrase from a song pops into my head and it fits the situation perfectly. Other times, he gives me an incredible picture that expresses just a glimpse of his glory. At other times, he's given me clear direction when a decision needs to be made. I've found that the Holy Spirit speaks a lot when we listen and we obey what he says. That's kind of fun. That's just some of our people. Um, The Holy Spirit speaks. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, and people go, what does that look like? What does that mean? We, I'm using words to guide and communicate thoughts to you, and you're, you're tracking with me, and so you're kind of, those words kind of play into thoughts in your mind. Well, God doesn't need words, doesn't need them written, doesn't need them verbal. He can actually impress his thought upon your mind. You might even not be aware of it. That's how often God can speak to people, and that's what happens here. He presses his thought, he says, go over and walk beside the carriage, and he does that. And then a fourth is take a risk and step out in faith. you got to do that. I love this. You keep going in verse 30. It says, Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. And I, I love the idea that he ran over. Jesus must have loved Philip because the Spirit of God <coughs> didn't say go to the, you know, um, run to the chariot or get over there really fast. He just said go over. <laughs> Philip goes, whatever you say, and he's there. He's running. Because Philip was more concerned, I think, about obeying than about looking like a fool. I, I, I think Philip was more concerned about being directed by Jesus than being controlled by his fear. And one of the most encouraging things I can tell you, if the Spirit of God is prompting you and moving you, and it's not a bad thing, it's a good thing, it's a loving thing, and yet you have fear, I just tell you, feel that fear and then do it anyway. Do what God tells you to do. I love Philip because he didn't own a lazy boy chair, he owned the risky boy chair. He was willing to step out in faith. Ask questions, five. Ask questions related to their need. That's what you find in verse 30, the second part. Do you understand what you're reading? That was a pretty simple question. He didn't come and say, I want to tell you right away about Jesus. He said, where are you at? What are you understanding? Where Where do you, um, what's going on in your heart? And so the guy says, here's what I'm reading. Asking questions about one of the best things you can do because what you can do in asking questions is begin to start to show that you really care about them, you want to know more about them. And as we've talked about, we've moved from telling people about the gospel, showing people uh, in, in that sense of, of attracting them to a church to what I call knowing people. In this generation, they want to be known. And so one of the best things you can do is ask questions and understand what their need is. Getting to know someone by asking questions is caring and loving. It's the path towards friendship, and friendship creates credibility for you to ask personal questions. The sixth thing that you find here in this passage is verse 31 through 34. And I'm not going to read all that again because it's a passage that talks about Isaiah. But you just tell them what you know. That's really what he does. He he reads this passage to um, 
Philip. And Philip does not go into this long excursus and of the theology of a suffering servant. and, and ha- It's not about getting the right doctrine to him. It's much more about saying, here's what, being a witness just shares what God's been doing in your life. And you share how you have had this relationship with Jesus and how it is through Jesus that maybe it was guilt or maybe that, that, that he, he took away from you through forgiveness. Or, or for you, your story may have been that you were in a place where your marriage was really difficult and how God worked through that. It's just any one of these ways where God has worked in your heart as you begin to connect with them, God will give you what needs to be said. Just tell them what you know. And then the seventh is just talk about Jesus. <clears throat> That's what I encourage you to do. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me about the prophets, what he's talking about. So beginning with the same, some scripture, read this, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. Center on Jesus. Talk about Jesus. More important than some propositional truths, and they are very important, truth is very important, but more important is what I would call is relational reality. There is a person who his name is Jesus, who is both God and flesh, who loves you deeply and wants to be in relationship with you. And when you begin to be move into relationship with this Jesus, he begins to share with you his truth because he gives you a hunger for his word. He gives you a hunger for wanting to be in community with others and to begin to worship him. And it just begins to cause all the growth to occur. I am... Um, I, I, I had this so impressed on my heart at one point in my life just a few years back. Uh, Media Minefield um, set me up to be a part of a radio interview. Marianne Combs of NPR was doing an interview, and she had a rabbi and a mom and a Lutheran seminary professor. It sounds like a joke almost, doesn't it? Um, and me. I was a conservative church guy. And I was nervous and got some prep from Andrew McMaster in her church, which was really helpful to, before going on, because I knew I was like the sore thumb that was going to be asked difficult questions. This was right early on in, in Trump's term, and, and the whole idea was how do you get together and get along and do things together from different faith backgrounds. And so I had three things impressed on me, and, and you might find this funny, but there were three things. I was never going to mention the name Trump. I was, I was never going to respond first, which is really hard for me. I'm, I'm an activist, activator. You know, I just, I want to, I, I said, okay, God, I will not, I'll let other people respond first. And the third thing was this. Everything I talk about, I'm going to somehow connect it to Jesus. I'm, that was going to be how my thought process would go when I was listening to a question. And so we're in this interview, and at a certain point, <clears throat> she's asking questions. She's looked at me a few times, and I don't take the bait and answer first. I let everybody else answer. I answer my question around Jesus again. And, and now we're, you know, we took a little break. We come back, and she gets ready for the next just short segment. And she looks at me. She looks at me and goes, okay, Pastor Kevin, don't we all pray to the same God? And it's just looking at me like that. And I remember the Lord just said, you are not going to answer first. So I just looked back at her for, a, you know, I felt like eternity for a little bit. And all of a sudden, one of the other ones started speaking and they said some things. And in that moment of their speaking, God just downloaded into my heart what he what he wanted me to respond with. And I remember just um, 
coming back and, and talking with her, and, and, and my first response was, well, let me first just say this. We really want this to be a deep and meaningful dialogue, right? And I really believe if we answer this question too superficially, we're just going to dumb down our differences in, in this. And I said, so I, I turned, I looked at the imam and I said, do you pray to the same God the ISIS person prays to? And, and then I asked the Lutheran professor, uh, seminary professor, do you pray to the same God that the white supremacist prays to? And they were just kind of like dumbfounded. And I said, you know what, we can't, we can't go that route if we really want to talk about dialogue from a faith standpoint. We have to do what Jesus always did. And that was that Jesus looked and he said, in every person, God has created them. They are his creation. In, 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 in this place of the image of God, when we look at from that place, we can start having deeper conversation about it. But if we start at this place and just try and make it not... All I learned, what I learned from that was to shut up a little bit. I really learned this. The most important thing you can do is talk about Jesus. When I just even began to think about Jesus, he began to just download into my heart responses that I was just kind of even myself going, gosh, that's, that's too smart for me. And, uh, and I just remember how important that was. And the last thing is just faithfully do your part and then let the Spirit do His. What, what, we, what we need to do when it comes to sharing our faith is just start where people are. Just start where people are, not where you hope they will be. It's really important. I remember... I remember the first church I had, which was a church that... Honestly, um, was of a denomination that didn't believe in a kind of a faith in Christ, and it became pretty liberal. And so, I, I'm pastoring this church while I'm at seminary. And my softball team, every guy on the softball team smoked. I'm in our church free church league, and I'm just feeling like, oh man. And then it just hit me: this is so cool. God is in the process of saving people like me who have some bad habits who need a savior. Just start where they're at. As you read this, he wrote along, he just be, talked to him about where he was at, and then he gets done. And, and what I think is really interesting is he doesn't even get worried about the follow-up because he knows he's translated away from that. God will take care of the follow-up. You are, here's all you're supposed to do is your part. It may be that all you are doing is planting a seed and just saying, you know, I'll pray for you. That, that might be all you're doing. Or it may be that you're talking to a person and they're talking with their, on the sidelines about their kids and, and saying, yeah, we need to get some religious training. And it may be that God gives you an opportunity just to say, you know what? You might want to try our church and just see if this works for you. I, I don't know what it is. It may be that all you need to do is come around in actions of love because what, you, the, what this person needs is just to know that you care about who they are as a person. But faithfully just do your part. You are not responsible for their response. Just your own. And so the last thing I just want to share with you, and we're going to go to this video, and we'll end the service on this video. Um, a few weeks back, uh, Dave Boyce shared about praying for a divine appointment. God opened the door for him on a trip with some guys he's hunted with for, some, I think, 20 years or more. And 
and I'll just let the video kind of share the rest of it. But buy up the opportunities, guys, when God gives them to you. Dave, thanks so much. I, I wanted to just kind of end the, the message with your story. Um, you were hunting with some guys that you had known for 30 years, and they brought up somehow something about the Bible. Tell us about that. Yeah. Um, so it was out last fall, um, guys that I've both worked with and then socialized with over the last 30 years. Um, as I'd mentioned uh, earlier when we talked, one of the guys, somebody else actually brought the topic up. They they said, you know, I've been reading the Bible this year, and I just finished reading the whole Bible. And it was such a coincidence. And some of the backdrop on this, Kevin, is, you know, I've been really looking for how does the Holy Spirit work? And how can I be present at the right time and how can the opportunity present itself here? So, um, you know, he brought up the topic, but even before that, uh, at church, we'd started reading the Immerse Bible. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the questions is, what do I read when I read the Bible? I, it seems kind of foreign to me and some of the language is older and that type of thing. So, um, that was one of the suggestions, but it only became it only worked because of the experience that we had had here of us all digging in and starting to read the immersed Bible and being mm-hmm. able to share that experience with him. Yeah. So he asks, and 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 then it comes up in conversation later that you guys have been talking about it, and you end up. Um, what did you actually took a step of faith? What did what did you do? You, yeah. So part of our conversation. That was the question is, which Bible do I read? Because we were talking about the Protestant or the Catholic Bible. Um, and I just said, this is an easy, easy Bible to read. And that was part of our conversation that night. Well, as soon as I got home, then I sent him a copy of the Immerse Bible. Yeah. And so he got that right around Christmas time. Okay. And so then what happened just a few, wait, wait, about a week ago or something? Yeah, about a week ago. I got a text here and it said, Hey Dave, he, hey brother Dave, I just finished, and it, it was a picture of him holding the immersed Bible, and so he had just read the New Testament. So you took a step, you sent a Bible to him. You don't know much of what's going on. All of a sudden, you get a picture. Is he on the beach or something like that, holding up the Bible? I can't remember. Yeah, he was on vacation. So, yeah, <laughs> yep, exactly. Pretty excited about it. So, yep. here's my question: Do you ever think about what if I didn't step into this? Um, yeah, the absolutely. opportunity cost, in a sense. I do, because as soon as I got that text message back from him with that picture, I was really excited. Mm-hmm. You know, you could say, I did such a small thing here, but now God's word is in his head. He's read the whole Bible here, and there's something to work with now, and it'll be part of future conversations. Sure. So that's like such a cool opportunity, and it's like, if I don't take any action, I'm never going to get any results. Right. So it could have been an ongoing, I mean, this is a conversation going between three or four of us in that group now, just talking about, you know, kind of what they believe and reading the Bible. And it's led to some really great conversations. Cool. So you listen to the spirit prompted by the spirit, took a step of faith. God worked in that person's life and you got to enjoy how God worked. Let's pray. Father, I'm asking that you would give us hearts that would ask that you would fill our calendars, that we'd wake in the morning and say, what's the assignment that you have in my heart today? Where are those divine appointments that you're um, creating for me? And that you, our limitless God, would do boundless and expansive things for people who are searching for you. We thank you that we...
get to be a part of that journey. I thank you for the joy that Dave shared and for the joy that many are going to share in the coming weeks. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.